0: Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Ferguson Chicago. As always, you can follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn, and you can see all of the creative. You can connect with our guests and see all of the creative work on our website. That's onstrategyshowcase.com. A couple of housekeeping things to point out here. Upcoming episodes include Ben's originals. This is the rebranding and repositioning of Uncle Ben's rice. That was driven by a uh, diversity and inclusion issue and is a terrific campaign. Hopefully, we will be releasing that next week. Also, we are bringing uh, Skinny Mobile from New Zealand. Uh, this is a, a great campaign that just some, won some recent awards for long-term growth. Uh, this is a brand that was originally rooted in youth as a youth brand and then evolved to a mass market brand. And as we all know, that's a very difficult thing to do. And they've got a really um, had a very interesting strategy in how they got there. We're also uh, going to be, I think, recording it this week, the Seven uh, Eleven convenience store brand here in the U.S., and I, and I believe in other countries, too. They've just launched a, a new campaign out of uh, 360i uh, here in Chicago, and we're going to be talking about that campaign. And then we are planning to uh, have Airbnb on the show. You know, a couple of months ago, we recorded an episode. uh, But then it was collectively agreed that we should wait a few months until there was a a broader perspective brought to that episode because there was some new campaign work that was launching. So I'm super excited to soon, hopefully, uh, record this episode with the strategy and creative leads within Airbnb's in-house agency. So that's what's uh, coming up over the next few weeks. One other thing I wanted to mention is I saw a post uh, a week or two ago on LinkedIn that inspired a potential, uh, not a potential, a real uh, new series we're going to launch. Sort of uh, a, um, what would you call it, like a short-run series or a limited series, let's say. That's probably the more Netflix-like way to say it. This series is going to be called uh, The Classics. And the post that I saw was about the 1960s Avis campaign, the We Try Harder campaign which at the time and still is classic work, brilliant work. So when I, that kind of inspired the idea of looking at some great past campaigns and bringing them back to talk about them through the lens of learnings that we can apply today. I think a mistake too many strategists and marketers make is that we dismiss the past. We think that it dates us. We think that it's no longer relevant. And we don't think we can learn anything from it. And I think that's a huge mistake to think that way. So what we're going to be doing with this limited series classics campaign is we're going to do campaigns where we can get the strategist or have a guest come on to help us better understand the dynamics for that campaign at that time. And then we'll talk about it in in ways that we can apply to our businesses today. So the first ones that we're going to be doing is number one, Avis from the 1960s. And then we're doing a campaign that ran in the early 2000s, which was the uh, city Live Richly campaign from Fallon in Minneapolis. It was a great campaign then. I still think it's a great campaign today. And we're going to be joined uh, by the lead strategist from Fallon at that time, Dan Sutton, who's going to come on the show. We're going to talk about that. I'm excited about that idea of these sort of classic series. I'm a guy who has a stack of uh, one-show annuals and CA annuals on my bookshelf, and I frequently will look back on that just to be reminded about uh, the fact that so much of what we do today has been done before. And looking back on that can inspire us to do things even better today. So, hopefully, that will become a, a popular series. And if you have any ideas, let me know about campaigns that we could do in that series. So, uh, let's get back to today's episode. For those of you here in the US, you're probably very familiar with Choosy Moms Choose GIF. It had been the long-term campaign platform for GIF peanut butter. It was a category leader, and it had been so for many decades. And like many categories, uh, many products in the CPG categories over time, it was wholesome. It was targeted at moms with young kids, and there was probably puppies involved because when there's peanut butter, there's always apparently puppies involved. But over time, share started to decline. Competitors strengthened, private label came on the scene, and the brand needed to reach young adults. In order to rebuild so the question became how could a brand mom served you as a kid now be the brand you chose for yourself now at first glance when you look at the most recent work which is the ludicrous work you may feel like this is simply a campaign of borrowed interest with celebrity endorsement but the full body of work over the period of time we'll discuss which is roughly three to four years is built around a campaign platform of taste so good People would go to almost any length to get it. So this is Jif peanut butter and the award-winning that Jiffing Good campaign with Jennifer Baldwin. She's EVP Strategy Director at Publicist New York and Erica Roberts, Chief Creative Officer at Publicist New York. Enjoy. So I uh, I love to have CPG brands on. You know, it's it's something that uh, as a category it hasn't historically done what we would get super excited about in advertising. But it it has more recently been taking steps in new directions that are pretty exciting. And I think some risks have been taken, some new opportunities are served up. And and that's what kind of drew me to this campaign. When I saw this, I thought that it was an interesting twist on it. So I'm excited to have both uh, Jennifer and Erica on the show. Thanks to both of you for joining today.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a real honor.
0: Thank you so much. I'm uh, so it, it's Publicis in New York and the work is for GIF. Uh it's it's a category that uh, has been around for an awful long time obviously and I'm just wondering Jennifer if you can give us a sense of of you know what GIF is and and what do you kind of think of its place in the American household historically?
1: GIF is like a classic American brand. And if you think about the American household, um, most would know Jif. It's been around since the late 50s. And, you know, it's a peanut butter brand. It's had a role in many homes because over 70% of homes eat or buy peanut butter. And Jif has been a leading brand for much of of its life. Um, And so, but recently, like many mass brands, it's, you know, found that its leadership has been challenged over time as competition is fragmented, new entrants have come in and won over millennial and younger buyers, which is really the position GIF has found itself in while it's a beloved leader, it's just in a in a category that's gotten tougher over time.
0: You said that, I think Skippy is one of the major competitors to to GIF historically, right?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, Skippy um, as a branded competitor is really one of the the largest, really the largest. Um, but you know, as a mass mid tier brand, one of the biggest competitors to Jeff is really not just one brand, but really private label in in general that are really kind of creating a sense of kind of commoditization in the category.
0: And so, for those brands, those smaller emerging brands, it, it, it's as if they've been sort of. Uh, competing based upon ingredient rather than brand personality. Is that the way you would see it or would you see that differently?
1: I would think that's the case for um, private label in particular, um, being more kind of look-alike, um, competing on, um, you know, similarity of texture and ingredients to uh, to branded competitors. And with Skippy, it's been, you know, positioned more on a smooth texture over time. Um, So they had a campaign for several years, like be smooth, like Skippy. It's evolved its campaign recently to be a bit more of an emotional benefit to go to your Skippy place. But it has been like Skippy has been known more for its smooth texture.
0: So when we talk about GIF from a messaging point of view in the past, how would you describe the work?
1: So, before we won the business, which was in 2018, um, the brand had a long standing campaign, which really ran for about 60 years, which was Choosy Moms Choose Jif. And that campaign had evolved somewhat over time. It was choosy Parents Choose Jif to Jif um, means love. But ultimately, the positioning was pretty similar in that it was targeted to moms, targeted to parents as the superior choice, um, superior quality choice for their family. We'd seen that for GIF specifically people who had bought the brand before had lapsed or left for competitors. And many of those had done so unconsciously. They hadn't even realized they'd moved away from the brand. And that was particularly true of younger consumers, meaning more millennial group and like the twenties to thirties. They they were the one group which were growing the category, probably like just increasing their usage over time and establishing their habits. Um, But since the brand had focused... So much of its campaign and had a conversation primarily with parents. Over time, it wasn't really as relevant to that um, to that group of consumers.
0: So it was almost like it was a it was the brand from your childhood, and you were no longer a child.
1: Yes, exactly. I think that's true, particularly for um like we still saw that, you know, it particularly with Gen X and Boomer consumers, since that campaign had been out there for such a long time, they still had that like strong emotional connection with the brand. Um, but I think that's probably true for the millennial consumer. You know, it was something that maybe they ate as a child, but as they grow up, that was targeted to their parents and maybe not their brand.
0: So um in 2019, you launched. The first phase, uh, we're going to be talking primarily about the second phase, which was in 2021. But tell us a little bit about the first phase. The, the This would have been, I, I think, then the first campaign that you guys would have launched. What was the business goal and what was the idea for that first campaign?
1: like when we won the business, um, the changes that we were asked to really look at were like, how do we modernize this brand and bring new consumers back in, you know, bring new consumers back to GIF um, that hadn't potentially moved away or just hadn't thought about it in some time.
0: What were some of the executions from that campaign in 2019? Can you tell us a little bit about what was part of? That uh that GIF and good campaign, I think, is the name of it. For
2: sure. Jennifer teed the creative up um beautifully back in 2019, sort of landing on um a point of view of, for the brand, which was you know the best damn peanut butter on the planet. And even baked into that sort of POV was just an inherent irreverence, right? Um, you know, language choice is always really critical. And um there was sort of a, a chest pounding nature to it, to the best damn peanut butter on the planet, and you know the client really wanted to differentiate ourselves on taste, and you know that was really the springboard for the the campaign that we launched, which was uh, that Jiffing good. So the first executions out of the gate um, were all around the links that you would go to get your hands on a jar of Jiff. So the You know, the structure was sort of that jiffing good, you'd take on the apocalypse for it. So, for example, the the, the first spot was, you know, a woman running to escape the apocalypse. And she finds herself in a bunker hiding from the alien invasion. She looks around and she notices that the only peanut butter in the bunker is generic peanut butter. And she runs back out. (laughs) Um, into the invasion Um, the other the other companion spot that launched with it was um, a woman sort of peacefully uh, eating a a jiff peanut butter sandwich sitting on a park bench and um, a a squirrel sort of notices that oh i remember this
0: spot yeah
2: yep and then a man it dressed as a squirrel <laughs> walks up trying to get <laughs> yeah. so it's that jiffing good you dress up as a squirrel for it
0: Jeff peanut butter Chit-chit. it's that jiffing good you dress up like a squirrel for it.
2: Um, so again, really all about this length and, 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 you know, sort of tapping into this insight that we found that these peanut butter lovers, like if you, if you are truly a peanut butter lover, you have like this obsessive sort of irrational love for the product. Gamers love it, right? College kids love it because it's cheap and easy. Um, you know, people on, you know, gym rats, right? Because it's packed with protein. So, like, all of these different groups of people loved it. And when they when they were big fans of peanut butters, their their you know feelings towards it were sort of irrational. So, it was sort of a nice way to triangulate all of these different people through their sort of mindset and their passion for the product.
0: So that campaign was pre-COVID, right? And then COVID hits. What happens? What do you do during COVID and what happened in the category?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. So like at the beginning of COVID, the category in general got a huge bump. Because there was a lot of stock up behavior that happened, particularly at the beginning of COVID. Because I think it also it was it's a stock up food too, right? So, you know, when you're thinking about we're going to spend more time at home, I don't want to go out to the supermarket as much. They did stock up, and then what? That's what you saw. There was a rebound, and um, it went the other way. Actually, um, a little bit into COVID, where you started to see because people had stocked up earlier. There was, there was a drop coming out of it.
0: Coming out of COVID, you guys decided to take a, a different direction. And I'm curious, was there, was there a reason why you felt you couldn't continue with the creative direction that you first had? Or, or did you, do you think of it as even being a different creative expression?
2: We are still very committed to the that Drifting Good campaign. So it was just about flexing it. We gained permission from our audience um, to be more irreverent, right? We were really gaining a lot of traction with it and, you know, starting to truly shed the uh, choosy mom's uh, her, uh, legacy. Um, and so the the next thing that we wanted to tackle was truly embedding ourselves within culture.
0: So when you get to this point where you're deciding that this is post-COVID now, and you're trying to understand what the next sort of iteration of extreme lengths people would go to could be, how do you get to, or how does that conversation start about which part of culture you may want to plug into? Was that a, was that a strategic recommendation um, or was that out of just general conversation within the team about where you go next?
2: Part of what is making this campaign so successful is that it's not formulaic, right? Yes. It's always about the lengths people would go and the sort of this, this magnetic power of the peanut butter of the taste of the peanut butter. But it's also that the way we keep showing up with each piece of communication is incredibly unexpected. And um, you know, for us, with GIF versus GIF, right, I mean, it felt like a, a no-brainer.
1: All right, trending right now, It's a,
2: is it a GIF or a GIF? The popular peanut butter brand is releasing a jar featuring the name spelled with a G instead of a J. It's a partnership, right, with Giphy, the popular image search engine that we all use on all of my text messages. I I with my husband usually (laughs) uh the jar takes a stand in a popular online event saying that the word gif should be pronounced with a hard g not a soft one so gif yeah the creator of gif has previously said it should be pronounced with a soft g like the peanut butter brand right if you think of playing in culture as sort of a a continuum right you have sort of the the no-no on the far left of appropriating culture right which which everybody wants to avoid and then you have maybe a sort of superficial borrowing of culture. And then you have a hijacking of culture. And then you have these like few brands that actually lead and, and create culture themselves. And I think, um, GIF versus GIF was an incredible example of hijacking culture and Um, you know, it was a social debate that had been raging for years that the brand had a right to play in, but never, you know, I mean, it was, it was our brand. What other brand could comment on that um, in a way, you know, as, as, as true as, as we did. Uh, But what we didn't have was like the brand itself wasn't irreverent until the That Jeffing Good campaign was launched. So we finally had what it took to, to engage in that conversation in a meaningful way, right? And we were really proud of, of how we did it. And then, you know, so once that was done, and I and I think this is what you're poking at, the question was, so like the, the that looming, daunting, what's next? Um, and what could possibly be this big? And, you know, we had kind of checked that hijacked culture box and the thought was okay like is there a way that we could actually create culture that we could start to lead culture and 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 where can we insert ourselves in an incredibly unexpected corner of culture um and the brand had never touched um hip hop and the team through social listening came across this incredible quote about how the newer flow of peanut of rappers sounded like they were rapping with a mouthful of peanut butter.
0: Is that what started that conversation?
2: That's it. That's what started it. It was, you know, there's there's a debate um amongst the hip-hop community. So you have the sort of, you know, old school, more ly- lyrical rappers like the ludicrouses of the world. Um who really are like truly poetic in their lyrics you understand every single word the articulation is part of the delivery and then you have this newer generation which is much more sort of melodic as it's described and the older generation criticizes it because you know the the articulation is is not um quite as as crisp as say like a ludicrous, right? And it's more about the flow and the melody that they create with their words. And the criticism is that it sounds like they're rapping with a mouthful of peanut butter.
0: Explain to us what, what you did in your research to sort of make sure that you were you you weren't tone deaf and how you executed it.
1: Rather than use like typical copy testing where you're really just asking about clarity and persuasion, do people get what you're trying to say? We instead kind of flipped it around and asked consumers to help us, you know, use them more as cultural consultants. And the, one of the first pieces of research we did was qualitative research with rap fans. And those were rap fans of traditional rap and this more new school rap and to to different degrees of kind of passion and involvement to really understand Um, What were they sparking to? What didn't feel like it was an homage to the genre that they were a fan of? And then helped us understand, like, where could we take it as well as where do we need to course correct a little bit? We were just really iterative and, and scrappy in terms of tapping into knowledgeable people within our organization, within our client's organization, You know, finding um, people who have expertise in diversity and inclusion. So we were looking for um, kind of cultural sensitivity blind spots.
0: So Erica, for you, um, did that sort of research work Uh, touching base with the fans in the category, did you sort of use that as fuel to develop ideas or did you use it to test ideas you had already generated?
2: I have to say that I, in my entire career, we have never used research to inform creative quite as much as it informed this, uh, this program. Will Jeff. Has you know, and and Jennifer, please jump in here. I mean, you know, yes, we had that great quote about you know sounding like the rapping with a mouthful of peanut butter. But again, like this brand had never played in this corner of culture, and you know, the big no no is appropriation and figuring out a way that was irreverent but also paid back to the culture um, in a very authentic way was something that we really did have to learn our way into and test our way through.
0: Did the idea lead to ludicrous or did ludicrous lead you to the idea?
2: The idea led to ludicrous, but ludicrous could have easily led us to the idea. Um, So we knew we needed um a classic lyrical rapper um someone like an icon right we wanted somebody who was truly known like you know at a mass level cuz there's a lot of like really niche sort of you know hip hop fans but th- this is a mass brand and we wanted it to appeal to everybody and and you know luda's a classic um and When we reached out to him, believe it or not, we found out that um, on all of his riders, he has Jif peanut butter. So (laughs) in all of Ludacris's green rooms and it was no joke. um, He eats it every day. He's like a a super fan. So he was like he could not believe it. Um, Truly like hip hop kismet. And um so so once we landed ludicrous and and by the way, you know, like working with celebrities, you really never know, like are they truly willing to play ball? And we needed him to write a song and then perform the song with a mouthful of Jiff peanut butter. And he was just all in.
0: Your idea was not only based upon the idea that 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 this version of uh, of rap or this subculture or subgenre of rap, um was being attributed to being sounding like you had a a spoonful of peanut butter in your mouth. You, you then took that and you, you turned it into the idea that you needed something to be old school versus new school. Where did that come from?
2: The way that we saw it was, well, you know, it's, it's that jiffing good, right? Even this old school lyrical rapper would change their flow for it. And, all of a sudden, JIF peanut butter is the bridge between old school and new school, right? Not dissimilar to JIF versus GIF, right? It doesn't matter. Connecting the two and just having fun wink wink playing in this debate. So that was really um the the heart of the idea that you know, again, the taste is that good he can't stop eating it, and ultimately changes his iconic lyrical flow for it.
0: My experience of this was I saw the ludicrous spot, but I didn't experience the setup. How did it start out that then led to the sponsored spot or the branded spot ultimately uh, being pushed out a couple of weeks later? What, what was happening in those first week or week or two?
2: Yeah. So, you know, like I had said, ludicrous actually wrote um, this, this trap song for us um called butter atl atl being atlanta um obviously butter being peanut butter um and he released a single and we helped him promote this single and you know the whole art direction the campaign around it was very unluda like if you will um and so you know we did wild postings we we you know pushed it out to because uh, he he
0: hadn't released an album in six or seven years, right so this was people were anticipating this this, a new album
2: that's correct that's correct and and the sound was just very unlike um you know his sound, so you know it was getting it was getting picked up and questioned by the press. And, um, and getting some traction, and you know it was pushed out, obviously, you know, on spotify and and all the the music streaming. And it wasn't until I think it was about a week um later that we dropped the the spot. and, you know, sure enough, the the press and fans started making the connection.
0: It's the return, ain't nobody messing
1: with a brother named Luda No matter how hard you try That ain't
0: it, my bro, t 64 It's the return, ain't nobody messing with You gotta do that again, man Bro One more time Jeff peanut butter, F flow Crazy, Crazy. It's that Jeffing good, Ludacris changed his flow for it why is Ludacris's hair growing while he's rapping? I've always wondered. I, I watched the spot and I'm like, okay, I get it all. But why is his hair growing? It
2: is, his hair is changing from his sort of old school classic braids ah. to a newer school look. So it's a physical and sort of audible transformation that he's undergoing.
0: I love it. I love it. So he writes the <laughs> song, he performs the song. Uh, yep. It's recorded as a spot. Where do you where do you then take it in terms of other sort of social channels and what did you guys do in those channels creatively?
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, this was like a slam dunk for TikTok.
0: Yeah, no kidding, no kidding.
2: You know, basically what we we asked Luda to tee up a duet on, on TikTok and, you know, he started rapping and then invited people to do it with him with a mouthful of peanut butter. And so it just took off people posting, you know, them going head to head with Luda, with, you know, a jar full of Jif in hand. And, you know, we, we, we couldn't have, we couldn't have, uh, you know, wished for better results than we got there.
0: Listen, anybody that knows me knows I've been eating Jif since I was a kid. What What's going on, Ludacris? That changed my rap game and my flow forever. So, you need to do it with me and show the world what you got. Are you ready? With a mouthful of jiff peanut butter.
1: This is gonna make mm. people fat when they mess up too many times. Man be hey. Ludicrous better my
0: gift like gift.
1: Uh. Man, I'm your grill like peanut butter, yeah. Oh.
0: Only reason I would ever do this here is even when I was not kid, i always been a fan of Ludacris. I'm like the people who refuse to call it gif yeah. when they get in a word to bait. Yeah. That means I'm always saying to yeah. the <laughs> Trying to be, loopy, be stupid if you disagree, I'm all about the bread. Now I don't care about what you tell me. Trying to be in <laughs> Destiny Michelle and like Kelly that. at this point. I really think yeah. that I'm ready for all that jelly bumping oh. word of mouth with a mouth full of food. If you don't stand my dog up, life. dog, I'm going to act a fool. Peanut butter when I'm on the move. Do you see the brand uh, um, including ludicrous in future work? Or do you think about this as a, 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 just a great expression in the moment? And then you'll move on to something next that builds off of the same brand platform.
2: It's all about showing up um, unexpected the next time around. But I think, you know, it's for us... To, it's trying to uncover the next um, unintentional invitation, if you will, right. That quote uh, about mumble wrappers in a mouthful of peanut butter or the, the GIF versus GIF debate, you know, they they uh, they, they were just, we saw them as invitations and and the, the creative challenge there was, you know, how does that GIF thing good and the brand uh, fit into this, this conversation in a really unexpected way. So we're always on the hunt for that, that next invitation and, um, you know, kind of scheming about how to show up again and, and surprise, surprise
0: our consumer. So, uh, so Erica, when you look at some of the original executions in the, uh, that shifting good campaign, the squirrel spot, the gladiator spot, et cetera, yep. they're, they, they feel very tonally uh, different than and then the recent work, even GIF as well as as ludicrous work. Do you see one as an evolution of the other? Is it was it deliberate, or might you go back to those more playful, created uh, worlds of of um, Squirrel and the other ones?
2: Yeah, listen. I mean, the 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 campaign was in its infancy. Right. And yeah. we had a lot of cobwebs to shake off the, off the brand. Um, but what I do think has remained, uh, it's evolved, but I do think it's remained in, and we, we described the tone as epic absurdity. And I think that that is remains true to today. Right. Whether it's the bunker spot and escaping an apocalypse, dressing up as a squirrel, taking on a gladiator, changing your flow and then, you know, your your entire sort of uh, physical, you know, there's a physical manifestation to that change as well. It's all somewhat absurd. Right. And ludicrous uh, lounging in a swimming pool filled with peanut butter. So that is definitely a cornerstone of the campaign and something that you will see moving forward.
0: So, in terms of in terms of business results and brand lift, et cetera, what can you share with us in terms of uh, success metrics?
1: After launching the campaign, I think that you know testament to the work was that it actually made a big impact on the brand's um, commercial success too. So, you know, coming out of COVID, the brand had experienced some you know pressures and was losing share to some competitors. But coming out of uh, you know coming out of this campaign, we saw not while our goal was to gain share at just one percent, we surpassed that by over three percent and actually was the highest market share the brand had um, achieved in over ten years.
0: Any final uh, comments or thoughts, Erica?
1: I think the the business results speak for themselves.
2: What I'm proud of is that you know the brand is now showing up organically in culture in ways that it hadn't for a very long time so you know it was just featured in stranger things it's jack harlow references it in his latest single and it's just like it's a cultural player now Um, and i i i think you know we are really sort of making our mark and, and earning our way into people's sort of hearts and minds again
0: It is Erica Roberts, Chief Creative Officer at Publicis in New York, and Jennifer Baldwin, Executive Vice President of Strategic Planning in uh, Publicis, New York. Thank you both so much for uh, all the great work and for being our guests today. Thanks a lot.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. This was great.
0: And we'll see everybody in the next episode.